Morning, everyone. Morning. Welcome to the Lord's House for Worship today. There's power in relationships, but today in particular with Jesus Christ, there's power in your relationship with him because we're going to see he, he has this ability by grace to lift up the lowly and to make them something they were not. We see that in our readings and especially the Word of God coming up. Let's begin, though, at this time with our opening hymn, 325. And please note, the soloist will sing verses 1 and 2.
Please stand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins to God our Father, asking him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Holy and merciful Father, I confess that I am by nature sinful and that I have disobeyed you in my thoughts, words, and actions. I have done what is evil, failed to do what is good. For this I deserve your punishment, both now and in eternity. But I am truly sorry for my sins, and trusting in my Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, our Heavenly Father, has been merciful to us and has given His only Son to be the atoning sacrifice for all of our sin. Therefore, as a called servant of Christ and by His authority, I forgive you all of your sin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Stir up your power, O Lord, and come. Take away the burden of our sins and make us ready for the celebration of your birth, that we may receive you in joy and serve you always. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Please be seated. First lesson this morning is from Micah chapter 5. Just think if Jesus never came. What would Bethlehem be without Jesus? It wouldn't be important at all. In fact, maybe you could say one of the only reasons it's important is because of Jesus. He was born there. So do you see how Jesus takes a lowly place with lowly people and elevates it and lifts it up? That's the point today. We read... But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And he will be our peace when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses. This is the word of our Lord. Continue with the anthem.
second lesson this morning from Hebrews 10 serves as a basis for the sermon. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Alleluia. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Alleluia. Please stand. The gospel this morning is according to Luke chapter 1. So if Bethlehem really wouldn't be significant without Jesus, would we know anything about a Mary related to Elizabeth? Without Jesus, do you see how Jesus takes Mary and elevates her from her lowly position 
And yet Mary, in humility, doesn't make it about her in her song. She elevates Jesus and makes it all about him. And we do too, by reading the gospel. We read, At that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is the gospel of the Lord. We join in the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Please be seated for hymn 324.
name of the only one who lifts up the lowly, the humbled, in the name of Jesus, fellow believers in him. The way we use the phrase in America, it means to make somebody angry. Somebody says they got your goat, it means someone or something got under your skin. Got behind your defenses. And the walls came down and you let them have it. The floodgates opened and you unleashed a torrent of your fury and you let it all out. I didn't realize it, but in doing a little research on the etymology and history of that phrase, it goes back to horse racing. Thoroughbreds were high-strung, and so in order to calm them down, it was perceived that goats had a calming influence on these horses. And so they would place a goat in the stall of those, those high-strung horses the day before or a couple of days before to soothe them, calm them, relax them. Of course, the opponents and the enemies who didn't want that horse to win, they, they understood how this worked, and so they would sneak in and they would snatch the goat which would rile up the horse and hopefully cause it to lose the race in the next day or the, the following days. In the Old Testament, God, according to the law, had dictated to the people and commanded them that every year he wanted a goat. Every year a goat needed to be offered him. Why? Because God is angry. It's an attribute of his holiness. When you think about it, God being holy, and, and it's, it's not a fickle anger. He's justified to be this angry. He's living with a bunch of sinful people. Nothing of what they do is right, upright, in any way, any moment of the day. And so this is an appropriate anger God has at the people. And so the purpose of this goat that he called for in the Old Testament was extremely significant. The purpose of this goat that God called for year after year wasn't simply to placate him, to pacify him, to settle him down so that he wasn't so fidgety and rigid and might go off in anger at any moment. It was to end the entire fight. It, it was to bring an end to this entire matter of anger completely. We call it and use terms of, it was to bring atonement. To bring God and these sinful people at one again. Atonement. To bring reconciliation, which is a term for the fight's over. Now both parties are in line again and everything's great, which results in peace. That goat was extremely significant. And so what would happen is, the goat was selected, its blood was shed, it had to die, and the blood was carried into the inner room of either the tent, called the tabernacle, or the permanent place, called the temple. It went all the way into God's holy room, the most holy place, and it was sprinkled on top of the ark. The, the lid was called the atonement seat, the mercy seat. And there it was shed. With all of that history, though, the writer to the Hebrews, just a few verses before the text that we read, said this very direct and pointed verse. For this reason, it, which is this entire matter of offering goats year after year, for this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, 
make perfect those who draw near to worship. I need to emphasize that. All of these animal sacrifices can never make perfect those who draw near to worship. I mean, this is, this is where you drop the mic. And you stop and you pause and you say, what? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of offering goats and it did nothing? All of those animal sacrifices and it never stopped the anger of God? It did nothing with him? All of these things and it never brought about atonement and reconciliation. It never made people holy. Here they offered themselves in worship by doing these things and it never meant a thing? How do we know that's true? It's right. How do we know that's true? Because if any one of those years they found the goat that actually did something, meant something, and accomplished something, they would have stopped. They would have never needed to offer any more goats after that. They would have said, oh, there it is, we're done. Peace with God. Amen. Now we can go about our lives in a different way. But they never got to that point. It never happened. Something different was needed. And Jesus recognizes that when he comes into the world. He says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. He understood the the setting that he came into of the Old Testament and all of those goat sacrifices that God never got his goat with any of those things. And Jesus, looking at the scene, he speaks these words as recorded from the Old Testament from the mouth of David in 1000 B.C. These are actually the words of Jesus as he comes into the world and he sees all that's going on and he says, Lord, you didn't like any of this stuff. What does that mean? Because certainly... What happened was in line with the law, God commanded it. But it missed the mark. Why? Because none of those sacrifices ever fulfilled the gospel. God's good and gracious will was not this outward, endless rigidity of animal sacrifices. It was actually to lift up sinners He wanted to lift them up so that they wouldn't be in their sin anymore. And for that to happen, something completely different was needed. You you can't have a four-legged creature that does something for humans. You need a real savior. Somebody who can truly represent the people. And so Jesus finishes that thought. He says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. Needed a human goat in a manner of speaking. And so Jesus sees a human body God has shaped for him, presented to him in his incarnation and birth. And he recognizes those things that they're doing, that can't help them out of their sin. But I can. And so he looks in awe at this incredible body that God has given to him and he says, I'm it. I'm finally the one. I'm finally the one who can do this. I can be the savior that they need. I can finally accomplish the will that God wants to bring an end to sin. And he wants to do it. If if you knew how hard that would be for Jesus to accomplish that will of God, I think any one of us would have shirked back from it, but not Jesus. 
he recognizes from the early onset exactly what he's here to be and exactly what he's here to do. And he wants to. Look at this as if it's added. It, this is his attitude every day of his life. He says, here I am. It's written about me in the scroll. I've come to do your will, my God. That's so different from people today. Jesus did not say and utter out of his mouth, my body, my choice. I think those are some of the most disgusting words somebody can say, especially in the context of abortion. Taking the life of a child because somebody doesn't want it. I understand we have some court cases now before the Supreme Court, and it has become, unfortunately, a political issue. Not for Jesus. He never says, my body, my choice. He says, a body you've prepared for me. This body is prepared by you, God, for service to you, God. And then out of his mouth, his heart speaks. I just don't recognize my body was prepared by you for service to you, but I'm here to do your will. I want to carry it out. I want to see it through. Here I am. I want to be their brother. I want to be your obedient son. And I want to bring about salvation. Talk about humility. It's not about him. In a manner of speaking, he's saying, Lord, my life is all about you. This letter to the Hebrews, it was written <clears throat> a long time ago. This was written to a group of people who were probably second generation Christians based on other evidence in the book. And they were under extreme duress. They were persecuted physically. They lost wealth. They lost business. <clears throat> they, they visited people in prison and were found out to be Christians and so they lost reputation and standing in the community. All of these things would have just made life miserable back then to be a Christian. And so they were slipping back. They were going back to former practices. They were going back to the old goats, the endless, mindless way of doing things that did nothing. And by doing that, they were going back to an angry God for which there wasn't a solution for sin, which also meant they were still in it. Brothers and sisters, God's got his goat. That's the whole point of this text. The righteous, holy, gracious will of God was fulfilled in sending Jesus so that his extreme, holy, appropriate anger, it's completely satisfied in Jesus Christ. It's ended in the cross with the result that there's peace. Brothers and sisters, it's not just that God's got his goat. It's that so do we. That same gracious will of God wasn't just for God's sake. It was for the sake of sinners. So that the result is forgiveness of sins is guaranteed to you and Jesus Christ. The righteousness that Jesus earned. Here I am, I've come to do your will, O oh God. I'm here to do it obediently every day with every breath of my body. And he did it. 
He credits that holiness to you for free so that that holy life of Christ is your life through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know what that means? It means that our worship means something. It means that there's a depth here that is incredible. When you and I come to worship, it's not just, ah, there goes another animal again, and for what? For nothing. This is mindless, and this is, this is endless. It's just going to keep going to nowhere. When you and I come here, Jesus is something. He means something. He does something. I, I can improve on that. When you and I come to worship, Jesus is everything. He does everything and he means everything for our salvation. It's completely accomplished in him. And so when you take that complete picture that God's got his goat, everything he needs, and you take a look at what these people that he's writing to in this book, they're slipping away to something else that won't accomplish a thing? You're not doing that, are you? If the studies are correct, if the news articles that I've been looking at are correct, that's what's happening across all of America and maybe even across all the world. People are giving up their churches, giving up on Christ, slipping back to apathy, slipping back to nothing. And all that brings is the anger of God. People don't recognize what their bodies are for, that God created our bodies for glorious service to him. And look at the horrific ways people are using their bodies. You've got to be kidding me. Here Jesus says, here I am, I've come to do your will. <laughs> he shows up. It's hard to get people to show up today. Hard to get people to want to be, ah, oh, they're not going to miss me if I'm gone. It's not that important anyway. And Jesus didn't just show up on the scene. Here I am. I've come to do your will. He followed through. Lord, I'm not just going to show up every day of my life and look at my life every day, whether I'm in the synagogue or whether I'm out on the street. I don't just look at my life as worship. Every moment is worship. Do we look at it that way? Do you look at your life in worship, public worship, or as you go out on the streets, as you personally worship the Lord, that every breath of what you do is to carry out the glorious will of God. What a shame. What a shame to have the perfect goat. That God's got the one. The one that all ages were looking to. That the world has its goat. <laughs> That the blood of Jesus was spilled on that cross and sprinkled for the life of the world. And that we would let the enemy slip into the stall of our life and rip it away and lose the race. Never! As obediently and humbly as Jesus came to carry out the will of God, that's why we've come today too, humbly, to the house of the Lord, to confess our disobedience to it, to acknowledge our sin. But we've come to the one place, the one goat, 
who takes away the sin of the world. We've come to the one person who brings peace between God and people. We've come to the one place where he ends the mindlessness and gives the depth of his grace. Forgiveness of sins, yours. No matter where your life has gone. Renewal and joy to go back to the streets. No matter what our vocations are in life. And to use our bodies and our minds to joyfully carry out the will of God and to serve our gracious Lord. We've got our goat. Lord, this Advent and always, keep us prepared and keep us faithful as we hold to Jesus Christ, the world's only Savior. Amen. Please stand. May the peace of God which surpasses our understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to bless James and Wade and Merrick by their baptisms today. Raise them up to treasure your grace given in Jesus Christ and to persevere in it. Bring joy to Dan and Jody Stungy at St. Paul's as they partner with us to grow in grace and to serve you here. And whether we face inclement weather and loss like in Kentucky, persecution like the people of our text, or personal struggles in life, give us confidence in Christ that he's the one. He's our Savior, and let nothing move us from this faith. In your name we pray as we join to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for you for the for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And the peace of the Lord be with you always.
seated and we'll continue with the sacrament.